Mi paz os doy, mi paz os dejo. Así como el Padre me ha enviado, así os envío yo. Cuando dijo esto, sopló sobre ellos y dijo, recibid el Espíritu Santo. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. We just read this amazing portion of Scripture in the book of John. It's called the Johannine Pentecost by many. It is a couple weeks before Pentecost breaks out, which we read prior to this in Acts chapter 2. But what a change from John chapter 20 to Acts chapter 2. You see a Peter and the other ten disciples locked behind doors, unwilling to even go out to the street for fear of the crowds. And then later on, just about 50 days later, you see a Peter boldly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ on the street. What was it? What happened? That was all due to Pentecost. Today is Pentecost. That's why we're wearing these colors of red. Red, the, the color of the fire of the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts chapter 2 tells us that they were all gathered together, 120 followers of Jesus, in an upper room, and then the Holy Spirit descended upon them in what seemed like a great rushing wind, and then separated as individual tongues of fire, and alighted on every head in that room, and then it spilled forth onto the street, and it's continued on to this day. You see, the word Pentecost is simply a Greek word which means 50. It's 50 days after the bringing in of the first wave offering. That 50-day, it was celebrated in the Old Testament church called the people of Israel, and then it's also celebrated in the New Testament people of God, also called the church. Here's the thing. This Pentecost celebrates the giving of the covenant to Noah. It celebrates the the renewing of these covenant vows on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. And that's how the early Jews of that first century celebrated it. And then this same Pentecost is the renewal of God's covenant with his people as he empowers them in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're at all like me, um, you may even use words that have, they were brand names, but those brand names have actually become the very name of the thing that they seek to describe. You know, we don't necessarily blow our nose with a tissue. We often do it with a Kleenex. If you think about it, at least here in the South, people don't just drink soda, they drink Coke. It might be an orange Coke, but it's still Coke. And here is what you see, the word Pentecost. It's come to, to take its own little meaning, and, and, and sometimes we think, okay, well, that's just a particular strand of, 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 of the, the largest growing strand within the Christian movement nowadays, but that's not the only one. It's like saying Coke is all soda, but here's the thing. It is indicative of, of that whole thing. I once was with uh, 
doing a university mission down in Peru, and I was talking to a man, and, and, and he asked me, so well, are you a Presbyterian? Are you a Baptist? Are you this? Are you that? And, and, and one of the colleagues that I was traveling with who, who works for Ravi Zacharias simply said to the man, he said, well, I, I see, sir, that you are a Baptist. You can be like Jesus' cousin and be a Baptist, or you can be a Pentecostal like all his disciples. And you see, here's the thing. We all are Pentecostals. Because if you, as it says there in 1 Corinthians 12, that, that was read so beautifully to us, that it is only by the Holy Spirit that you and I can say, Jesus is Lord. John chapter 20, these verses that we read tell us three things. And Acts 2 tells us these same three things. It tells us of this change that Peter and the rest of the disciples encountered due to three things. They experienced the love of God, they expressed the love of God, their love for God, and then they engaged the world in a new language of love. They experienced the love of God. In 1738, on the 24th of May, that was, that's last Sunday, but in 1738, John Wesley walked into a little chapel in Aldersgate, London. And he heard the gospel faithfully proclaimed. We're talking about a clergyman, a priest in the Church of England. And he walked in and heard two Moravian women reading Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And what did he say? My heart was strangely warmed. He experienced the love of God. And that little flame and flicker of fire has spread and birthed countless numbers of social transformation and and the most amazing movement for change in these last 200 years. John Wesley wrote to William Wilberforce and he said, my dear William, perhaps you've been called to be Athanasius Contramundum. Perhaps you've been called to be Athanasius against the world, but I do not think you can do this in your own power. You can only do this in the might of God. It's when you experience that love of God that you can be transformed. It's what transformed Peter. You see, Peter was a burly fisherman from Galilee. He had what you would call a northern accent. And flip it on its head. It's a bit like here in the States. You may travel up north and some Yankees might say, well, that's a really nice, quaint southern accent you've got. And we immediately pigeonhole people because of their accents. Peter had a Galilean accent. And he was sitting at a fire right before Jesus was tried. And a little servant girl with a southern accent. In that day, it would have been the posh accent. And she said, you don't have a posh accent. You're from up north. You're from Galilee. Don't you follow that Galilean? And Peter was so afraid. It was that same fear that grips those 11 in that upper room. And then what happens? Jesus walks in in the power of the Holy Spirit and he says, peace be with you. You see, they experience a love that is so unsettling that it settles them. It is so unsettling because they they know they've failed. If you remember at the Last Supper, Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And every single disciple says, 
is it I, Lord? And oftentimes we read that passage as this idea that, oh, they're just simply saying that because heaven forbid, I would never do that. But actually every disciple asks that question because they know deep in their heart of hearts, is it I, Lord? I know that even in my best days, I fail you. In my worst days, I could betray you. But Jesus says, I know everything and I still come to you as a friend, and I say, peace be with you. They experience love like nothing before. That's what happens when they are all gathered together, not only as 11, but as the 120 on that day of Pentecost. They experience the amazing love of God that strangely warms their heart. The second thing that happens is that they express this love. You see, C.S. Lewis put it this way, is that something is not fully appreciated until it is expressed. I don't fully appreciate or tell my wife how much I love her until it's the overflow of what I am thinking, of what I am feeling. I have to express it. Love is only is only fully instantiated when it is expressed. And that is what leads these 120 men and women filled with the Holy Spirit to spill out onto the streets. And they spill out. You see, in that day and age, the, the, the lingua franca that everyone would have spoken would have been Greek. And maybe the burly fishermen spoke a little bit of Greek and um, some might have spoken Aramaic, and very few might have even spoken that dead liturgical language called Hebrew. But here's the thing. Every person on the street hears about this gospel. And they hear it in their own tongues. Parthians, Medes, Scythians, no matter where they come from, all these Jews that have gathered together for the, day of, for the, the, the feast of Shavuot or Pentecost, they hear the gospel proclaimed in their own language. Some commentators say, well, it says that, you know, that, that it seemed like a wind rushed through there or that it appeared as though tongues of fire. And then we, we latch under those words of seem and appear and we, we try to find a good explanation, some great logical explanation as to why it was that way. And we try to explain away the supernatural nature of what happened that day. At the beginning of the first volume of what St. Luke writes, this is the second volume in the book of Acts, in the first book that Luke writes, we see something supernatural happens also. And there is an explanatory power, if you will, that Zechariah tries to have. But the problem is, is that when you explain away everything, you even explain away the power of explanation. And what happens to Zacharias? He becomes mute. His words lose meaning. They have no power. They can't signify anything. The signified no longer points to the signifier. It's been broken. And you see, that's what happened at the beginning of the book of Genesis. Our relationship with God is so destroyed and broken that the link between signifier and signified is broken in the Tower of Babel. Our languages are confused and, and human beings can no longer communicate. One 
ethnic group can no longer communicate to another ethnic group and everything goes to haywire. We're seeing this even in Minneapolis. A friend of mine who was also a missionary kid who grew up in Spain and then in England married a Afro-Caribbean girl from Birmingham. He's moved and is now a pastor up in Bethlehem. And, and I read a, a, a poignant post by him yesterday on Facebook. And he said, 40 years ago, there were laws on the books that, didn't, that would not have allowed me to marry my current spouse. He said, but all we need to do is to listen to one another. But when we've done away with the power of explanation, we no longer can tie signifier to the signified. The Holy Spirit comes and makes words intelligible once again and allows us to express those words to others, to express love. The last thing that we see here in chapter 2 of Acts, the last thing that we see in chapter 20 of John is this. Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. Peter, James, John, they all rush down onto the streets and they begin to proclaim. And Peter says, this is that. What is that? You see, he's quoting directly from the book of Joel. And he's referencing something that, that it was the most studied book of, of that first century by Jewish people. It was, it was the book of Daniel. And we read that last week in our lectionary reading. It talks about how after a period of 490 years, exile would end. And this would be that. Joel was talking about the day of the Lord. He was talking about a day when everything would be restored, when heaven would break into earth. You see, heaven broke into earth all those years ago when the Holy Spirit fell on the church. Heaven broke through upon Jesus as he went into the waters of his baptism. Baptism is a covenant. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And you see the heavens open up. A dove descends. The Holy Spirit descends in the form of a dove upon Jesus. And you hear these words spoken. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Those words mean something. They're not hollow. And those words can now be spoken over you. If you say Jesus is Lord, you can experience your own personal Pentecost. You can experience your heart being strangely warmed. So as we come to this font, and as the dean leads us through a covenant renewal ceremony, would the Holy Spirit fall on you in a new and fresh way? The same way that John Wesley's heart was strangely warmed. That same movement then birthed the Salvation Army and General William Booth who, works with, who worked with many homeless in London and then birthed the Salvation Army throughout the whole 
of the world wrote a hymn about Pentecost. And it says this, Send the fire today. Your blood-bought gift we claim. We need another Pentecost. Send your Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.